Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. Merry Christmas, New Covenant. So this is a time of year that we celebrate that God loved the entire world so much that he came as the person of Jesus and he died for us. And so regardless of who we are or where we came from, um, he loves us indiscriminately. And aren't you glad that he loves you uh, regardless of who you are? I would tell you, especially on a morning like this, like I pick and choose who I love because I got this apparatus on my face that you could probably see. And I love it. The ladies come up and, oh, pastor, I'm so sorry. How can I pray for you? And the guys are like, dude, what's wrong with your face? So I like the ladies better this morning. I have two stories. You can pick which one is true. The first says this. I was climbing tramway, and I got in a fight with a Kodiak bear. He got one shot in, but he's a rug in my house now. Or the other one is 40 years of being born and raised in San Diego at the beach a lot, and you get skin cancer. The first one's way more exciting, so as far as you all are concerned, I fought a bear, and I won Uh, This morning, we're going to be taking a look at how good Jesus is to us, again, regardless of who we are, how he has been working behind the scenes for hundreds of years to make sure that he's going to be worshipped by all people in all places. Uh, Now, some are going to do that willingly. Um, Some are going to actually end up having to bow the knee because they're going to be made to. Uh, My hope and my prayer for you this morning is that as you see just how amazing Jesus is, as you see that he is not just a myth, he's not just a fairy tale, he's not just a good story, but he is an actual, true, historical person who came as God in flesh. He proved it through how he lived. He proved it through how he was born, how he died, how he rose again. I'm praying that all of that moves you to a point where just like the wise men or the magi that we're about to take a look at today makes you want to bow your knee and just bring him. Uh, the ultimate in sacrifice and gifts. So before we dive in, let me pray for us. I know there's lots of distractions. It's Christmas. Traffic is crazy. Some of you all still have to go shopping. In fact, I would encourage you, if you still have to go shopping, this is a great day to do it because there are so many people that desperately need Jesus. You see it when you shop on Christmas Eve. It's great. So let me pray for us before we dive in. Let's just ask the Lord to remove all of our distraction and just worship him. Lord Jesus, we come before you and we're thankful that you have been working um, in our lives to bring us to this point today uh, where we are here together as brothers and sisters in Christ to worship you. Lord, we ask that you would have your way in our hearts, our minds, in our lives, not only today, but in all the days of our lives. And Lord Jesus, we know that even as uh, a baby in a manger, even as an infant, Lord, you were still holding the universe in the palm of your hands, that even while you were being nailed to a cross, Even while you were laid in a tomb for three days, you were still God. You were still reigning. You're still sovereign and in control. And Lord, that brings us great hope because as we look at the chaos in our world today, we know that you are still reigning and ruling from on high. And so, Lord, it's you that we worship this morning. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray together. Amen. Well, gang, I mentioned Christmas is hectic for some of us. Between making meals, wrapping presents, shopping, going to the mall, fighting traffic, that sometimes... We miss just spending time with Jesus. We miss just worshiping him. Uh, If we were to rewind 2,000 years ago, there was a bunch of people that missed Jesus. In fact, the very people that should have known that Jesus was God in flesh missed him. You got the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders, the scribes, all of those that should have known the Old Testament inside and out, 
should have known that a Savior was coming, should have known that he was going to be born in Bethlehem, should have known that he was going to be born to a virgin, should have known that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, should have known he would be crucified on a cross, should have known that he would have been mocked from the cross, should have known that they would have divided his clothes and cast lots for them, should have known that he was going to rise from the dead, all missed that Jesus had come. Then you get to Matthew chapter 2 and you've got these wise men known as magi that show up to worship Jesus. If anybody should have not shown up to worship Jesus, it should have been them. Let me explain to you why. I want to give you a little bit of a history on the magi. So exactly who were these guys? Who were these wise men that we read about? You can rewind to about 605 B.C., As a church, we're going to be studying the book of Daniel, and we know that the Magi, the wise men, date back to at least 605 B.C., during the time of a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonians. Now, the Babylonians were a group of people that worshipped all kinds of false gods, and their Magi or, or wise men would practice what we call secret magic or dark magic or black magic, and they would try to conjure up spirits. They were quite demonic. And they were able to perform some some crazy, seemingly miracles. And because of that, a lot of the kings made them their trusted advisors. In fact, they became such trusted advisors that the Magi were the ones who actually decided who the next king would be. They were the ones that had the ultimate in votes. Well, take this group of Babylonians, King Nebuchadnezzar, a bunch of pagan astrologers that were worshiping false gods, and imagine that they just won this big battle. Don't imagine it actually happened. They won this big battle, and on the way back to Babylon, they came across Jerusalem, and for fun, in 605 BC, they decided to ransack Jerusalem. The first of three times that they would besiege Jerusalem and ransack it. And in 605 BC, in their first ransacking, they would have taken Daniel, and then his three buddies, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, Y'all know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They would have drug them 700 miles across the desert, and they would have begun to educate them in Babylonian religion, literature. Well, while they were there, at least Daniel and his three buddies refused to worship false gods. They decided, no, we are going to worship the God of the universe. And in doing so, Daniel undoubtedly would have been sharing the gospel message with other wise men, with other magi. Now, before we get too far, know this. Just in the first three years that Daniel was there, he was so faithful to God, he was so good to the king, and so trusted with the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar decided to put him as the chief prefect over all the wise men, uh, or over all the magi. He also decided to make him like his right-hand man. It would have been almost what like the vice president was like. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 48, it says, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole prince of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Now, before we go any further, let me just make us aware of the fact that Daniel was a real person. He was 14 years old when he got besieged and ransacked and brought to uh, Babylon. By the time he's chief prefect, he's been there for three years. He's about 17 Years old. And again, being a real person, I want to be real with all of us sitting in this room. We look at Daniel as a spiritual giant who always made all the right decisions and never got it wrong. But being the fact that he was a real young man, a teenager, I wouldn't doubt that he had times in his life where he was wondering, God, what are you doing? However, even in the midst of wondering what God was doing and how he was working, he had resolved in his heart, I'm going to stay faithful and true to God no matter what. And God honored that and blessed that. 
I bring that up because you may be wondering, what in the world is God doing right now? I don't like the way things are going in my family. I don't like the way things are going with my career. I don't like the way things are going with where I live. Just know that the trickle-down effect of worshiping Jesus for who he is, for sacrificing on his behalf, might have impacts that you know nothing about. Remember, it's 600 years later that the wise men or the magi are worshiping Jesus. Daniel's long dead. He hadn't been around for a long time. I don't know that Daniel had any idea just how profound of an impact he was going to have on a bunch of pagan astrologers that were worshiping false gods. And yet, 600 years later, there's still people that are worshiping the true God of the universe because Daniel and Hananiah and Azariah and Mishael and maybe a few others remain strong. In fact, I have no doubt that Daniel shared many of the prophecies of the Old Testament about the coming Messiah so that when the Messiah did come hundreds of years later, people would be there to worship him. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 is probably a verse that Daniel shared with the other wise men. It says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. He would have told them undoubtedly that a savior is coming that's going to defeat Satan. He's going to defeat this demon that you all are worshiping. You need to know that because you're worshiping the wrong gods. He would have shared Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 that would have told them, if you want to know who the Messiah is, because there's going to be all kinds of false ones, just look for the one that's born of a virgin. Again, I don't know if you all know this, but babies aren't born from virgins. This baby was because he was God in flesh. It would have gone even further to say that not only will he be born a virgin, his name will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Two chapters later, he would have shared for us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. If you want to know how we know that he's going to be God in flesh, it's going to tell us exactly where God's going to be born. He's going to be born in Bethlehem, this obscure little town. There was actually two Bethlehems. So just to make sure we get it right, it's going to be Bethlehem of Ephratah. It says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, the one who is ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. I believe there's many reasons why Daniel shared all of this. I think part of it was, let's look at the evidence. Because there are so many false gods that the Babylonians would have been worshiping. They would have known the false gods of the Assyrians before them. They would have known of the false gods of the Egyptians before them. And so they've literally got these thousands of gods to worship. And some of the same things would have been said back then that are being said now. Well, there's so many different religions and there's so many different gods. How do you even know what's true? Which is what I love about God's word and I love about Jesus. Put it to the test. Because in a court of law, the only way that you're going to determine whether or not somebody is guilty is through what we call a preponderance of evidence. Is Jesus guilty of being God? Absolutely. Is Jesus guilty of being the perfect God-man? The answer, again, is absolutely. If we were to sit down and just spend days dissecting God's word and taking a look at whether or not we can trust that it's true, I will tell you that the conclusion that we would all come to is that God's word is from God, not from man. It's mind-boggling. That Jesus is something far greater than just a guru or a religious leader, but he truly is God in flesh. We'll talk about some of that in just a moment. What I do want you to see is that the wise men that we're about to read about in Matthew chapter 2 verses 1 through 12 did exactly what I am going to challenge you and encourage you to do today. Go and seek out Jesus. 
There is nothing to hide from. I will tell you that if you've ever been part of religion, part of a, a religious group that tells you you're not supposed to ever pick up scripture and read it on your own, you just take what I say because I have a special anointing that you can't have. Flee for the hills. God's word has been written so that every person, the common man, can pick it up and read it and know exactly who the God of the universe is and that it is Jesus who's God in flesh. So this morning I'm going to ask you, if you would, would you take your Bibles and go with me to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And as we take a look at this, you're going to see that the wise men came and they recognized Jesus as a king and they bowed down at his, at his well, it would have been his bassinet at the time. He's probably one and a half or two years old by the time they show up on the scene. So if you've got your nativity scenes and you've got the three wise men at the manger, move them. They didn't get there until he was probably between one and two. At that point, you're going to read about it. But they're now in a house, in a meager little house. So my girls will oftentimes remove the wise men from the manger scene because they're like, oh, they're still out here. They haven't made it yet. So I'm like, you go, girls. Awesome. Just in the, the sense of Jesus being our king and in honor of him, would you all mind standing with me as we read Matthew chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 12? says this, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thanks, gang. You can have a seat. Now, again, let me remind you that God has already been working behind the scenes for at least 600 years to make sure that magi or wise men showed up to worship Jesus. Because here's the thing. We read this passage, and we probably just breeze right past it. Don't even think twice about who these guys are. I don't know. Some wise men showed up. But remember, all the way back in about 605 B.C., God started working through a couple of young men so that 600 years later, the wise men would show up on the scene and worship him. And that really brings us to the one big thing that I don't want us to forget this morning. Please don't miss this. Every event in human history is being used by God to bring people to a point of worshiping Jesus. Ever since God created Adam and Eve, and then even after that with the fall and sin entering into the world, God has still been working to make sure that every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now let me begin to unpack how he's been doing just that. He did it in the lives of these, these people that we call the Magi. He's doing it in our lives. How did he do it with the wise men? Well, look starting in verses 1 and 2. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. At this point in time, we're probably somewhere around 4 B.C. Now, at this point, when the wise men are about ready to go and search for the child, you need to know that they were a part of an empire called the Parthian Empire. It was the second most powerful empire in the world, only behind the empire of Rome. As they are serving underneath the king of Parthia, it would have or could have cost them greatly to abandon their post as wise men underneath the king of Parthia to go search for another king. Well, then they're showing up underneath the the guise of the Roman Empire. And you've got King Herod who's there. He is a wicked, evil, and nasty man that we are going to take a look at in just a moment. But what is it that motivated them to get up and go and search for Christ? Well, there are three things that I don't want you to miss this morning. One, I don't want you to miss the truth that the wise men sought. The second thing that I don't want you to miss and we're going to take a look at is the awe that the wise men caught of who Jesus was. And then the last thing is being the fact that they caught this awe of Jesus. What is the sacrifice that they brought? So they gave up much in order to go and search diligently for Jesus. Look with me again at verse 2. They came and they said, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. What a great question. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They more than anything wanted to be with Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, in your life, where is Jesus? Is he on the throne? Has he taken a back seat? Is he not in your life at all? And maybe you're sitting in this room thinking, I'm not one of those religious people, so I really don't have much to do with Jesus. Fantastic, you're in the right place. None of us sitting in this room that love Jesus are religious people. Here's why I would say that. Religion is man's attempt to work his way to God. You and I can never work our way to God, which is exactly why Jesus came to us. So the question by the wise men is appropriate. Where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star and we have come to worship him. I pray that this morning you have come to worship him. If not, I pray that you would leave here today being a person that now worships him. Look at verses 3 and 4. We mentioned this nasty King Herod and what it might cost to worship somebody other than King Herod. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. What is it that troubled Herod? Well, Herod was paranoid. In fact, Herod had his son-in-law killed. He had two of his own sons killed. He had his own mother killed, and he had two of his wives killed. He had all of them murdered because he thought that all of them at different points in time as he was reigning were trying to take away his authority. And so he had all of them murdered. Now imagine being the wise men coming to worship another king that's not Herod. That was dangerous. But why is it that they did it? Because they caught a little glimpse of how amazing Jesus was. We'll get there in just a moment. But what is it that made them aware of how amazing Jesus was? Well, apparently they knew the scriptures, at least a little bit. Because in chapter 2, verse 5, after Herod asked the question of where this king who was to be born was at, they said, well, it's written by the prophet. So they knew the prophecies of the Old Testament. 
They knew that the Old Testament said he was going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea, so they knew exactly where to go. Then go on to verses 6 through 9 with me, if you would. It says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And they sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them and came until it came to a place to re- until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Herod's intention was by no means to worship Jesus, because we learn later that he had all of the baby boys two years of age and under killed. So ultimately, he wanted to kill Jesus. But instead, he ended up getting thwarted. And how did that happen? Well, once again, God is working behind the scenes to make sure that evil doesn't win out. Now again, look around. Have you noticed that things aren't going well? Sometimes it looks like evil's winning out. I think sometimes the enemy might actually think to himself in his poor theological stance that I might be able to win against the God of the universe, although God is working all the details out to make sure that we end up worshiping him. Now, again, why is it that the religious people miss Jesus? Why did the Magi show up? Why did the Magi go against Herod? Of all the people in the world, why is it that the religious leaders weren't there? And I will just simply leave it at this. Religion fails you every single time. Remember what religion is. It's man's attempt to work his way to God, and it will fail you every single time. So if you're coming from a religious system an organization or a background that says that there is something that you can do to earn God's favor, to earn God's love, or to work your way to God, I want you to simply listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. It's found in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law... No one will be justified. That word justified means to be declared righteous or to be declared righteous in God's sight. You will never get justification from your own good works. It's only through the work of Jesus. And what did the work of Jesus cost? Well, for you and I, it's completely free. It's a gift that's being offered, but it costs him greatly. 1 Peter chapter 1 Verses 18 and 19 says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways, inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Did you hear that? You were bought back from the slave market of sin with the precious blood of Christ. Again, who is he? Well, he is the creator of the universe who took upon a body so that he could come and as man could die on a cross for us, but as God would overcome death and pay the full penalty for all of our sin, past, present, and future. There is a story of a diplomat from England that got captured by a foreign nation. And England tried to offer a ransom to get him back. But the people that had captured that diplomat refused to give him up. They refused the ransom. So England, over 100 years ago, decided to wage a war that cost them a little over $25 million just to get one person back. 
25 million 100 years ago, that's a lot of money. However, a greater price has been paid for you and I. In order for one of us to be bought back from the slave market of sin, in order for one of us to be bought back and be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, to go from being an enemy of God to being a child of God, Jesus Christ, God in flesh, had to shed his blood on our behalf. That is the greatest price that could ever be paid. And I believe that the wise men recognize that, which is one of three things we're going to look at this morning that make the wise men so wise. In fact, we've already looked at the first nine verses. We just finished reading through it. And in the first nine verses, here's the first thing that we see about what makes these wise men so wise. The wise men sought Jesus, and they pursued him above all else. Let me ask you this morning, what are you pursuing above all else? What is the most important thing to you? If you had to say, this is what matters most in my life, what is it? There are ways to determine that. What do you spend the most time thinking about? What just captures your thoughts? What captures your emotions more than anything else? What do you spend the most amount of money on? What do you spend the most energy on? Those things will tell you what it is that you pursue the most. And I have to, in a moment of honesty, tell you that what I pursue most, what I seek after most, is not always Jesus. And when I get to the point where Jesus is what I am not worshiping the most, or not seeking after the most, I end up quite anxious. I end up quite disturbed. So I want to encourage you this morning. I am not saying that your jobs are not important. Sure they are. I'm not saying that your spouses aren't important. Your husband or your wife is a gift from God. Treat them as such. Your kids are a gift from God. Treat them as such. Your homes and your cars, the body that God gave you, those are all gifts from the Lord. Treat them as a gift from him. But don't make those the things that you worship. Don't make those the things that you seek after the most because as soon as you do, those are the very things that will end up letting you down. Let me go back to the wise men. Remember, they were a part of the Parthian Empire which means that if you wanted to party it up, you could do it in Parthia. If you wanted the choicest of foods, Parthia was the place to do it. If you wanted safety because of its borders and its protection, Parthia was a great place to do just that. And they gave up safety, they gave up protection, they gave up parties, they gave up great food, they gave up great drink, they gave up great luxury, all because they saw something even greater. If you want to know just how great Jesus is, let me encourage you in the Bible to read the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews is a book that talks about Jesus being better than anything that has ever existed in all of the universe. If I was to, to give the book of Hebrews a series title, I would call it Jesus is More Better. That's my sermon title for the book of Hebrews. Jesus is more better. That's really bad English. But he is. Let me move you to verses 10 and 11, because after looking at the wise men seeking Jesus and pursuing him above all else, we get an answer as to why. Why would they pursue him above all? Why give up Parthia? Why give up the safety of the kingdom? Why give up all the luxurious food? Why give up all the partying? Why would these Parthian men give up all the women? Why give all of that up? Well, look at verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star... They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. 
Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. The reason that they were willing to give it all up was because of the truth that lay before them. The wise men caught the awe of Jesus and they worshiped him above all else. Remember, the magi, the wise men, had probably seen and experienced it all. And it all fell short in comparison to knowing Jesus. So they were willing to sacrifice much in order to be where Jesus was at. I don't know what it took for you to get to church this morning, but it probably didn't take trekking hundreds of miles across barren wasteland. It probably didn't take fear of robbers trying to steal from you as you traveled across that wasteland. It probably didn't take fear of a king that might have you executed because you're worshiping someone else. It probably didn't entail being really hungry and thirsty as you ran out of food on the travels on the way over. It probably didn't take showing up and wondering where this king was at that they were supposed to be worshiping when they couldn't find him right away. I'm guessing that it probably wasn't that treacherous for us to get here today. And yet we are called to sacrifice to worship Jesus. In fact, again, if you look at verses 11, or just verse 11, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Here's the sacrifice. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They gave costly gifts. All three of these gifts would have been sacrificial and quite costly. And what I love about these gifts is that they also teach us something about Jesus. By the way, before we go any further, how many wise men were there? Our first thought is three, right? Because there were three gifts. If three wise men would have showed up, Herod would not have been greatly troubled. He wouldn't have even noticed. The chances are good that it was hundreds to maybe even thousands, because there were literally thousands of magi, there were literally thousands of wise men that would have been these astrologers in Parthia. And I don't doubt that at least hundreds of them showed up, and it would have been like a parade when they showed up looking for this king. This is what probably caused Herod to have such great troubles. Now imagine, however many it was, but just imagine hundreds of them showing up and they're all bringing him gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they're bowing down at his feet. Can you imagine what kind of worship service that must have been like? And that's what it was. It was a worship service. They show up at whatever meager little house Mary and Joseph are now living in at the time, and they bring him these three gifts. What do the three gifts mean? Well, let me unpack for you historically just a little bit what these gifts would have most likely meant. Gold was a gift that would have been brought to a king. It would have been either a gift that was brought just simply because people were worshiping the king or because they didn't want him to be angry with them. But these guys bring gold to Jesus, recognizing that he is the only king worthy of being worshiped. And that could have cost them greatly at the hands of an egomaniac like Herod. The second gift that they bring him is the gift of frankincense. Frankincense would have been what would be burned at the altar of a god. And yet these magi who had been worshiping false gods show up and bring him gold and then they bring him frankincense recognizing this is the only one who truly is God and worthy of being worshiped. Now let me stop there for a moment and just say this to you. Some things will be preached and said from this pulpit that aren't meant to purposefully offend or make people angry, but they will nonetheless. Jesus is the only one who has ever been proven worthy of being worshipped. He is the only one who truly is, as Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 says, the creator of all things, whether in heaven or on earth. 
that for by him, for him, and through him, all things have been made. He is the only one who has ever walked the earth that is God in flesh. The founder of Buddhism, Siddhartha Gautama, we know where his grave is at, and there is a body there. The founder of the Mormon religion, Joseph Smith, has died, and we know where his grave is at, and his body is there. The founder of Jehovah's Witnesses, his name is Charles Tez Russell, died over 100 years ago, and we know where his, his grave is at, and there is a body there. The founder of another cult, her name is Mary Baker Eddy, died long time ago, and we know where her grave is at, and the body is still there. Jesus, who died 2,000 years ago, died in Israel, and we know where his grave is at, and both friend and foe, friend and enemy alike, have attested to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I tell you what, if somebody says or somebody tells me that somebody's going to be coming 700 to 1,000 years before they come and then they came exactly the way they said he would come and then he lives the exact life that they said he would live, then he dies the exact death that they said he would die, then he rises again from the dead, that tells me there's something very different about that one individual from anybody else that has ever lived. So if you're wondering, why do you people worship Jesus? Why show up 52 times a year to worship him? Why even be concerned about the afterlife? Why not just live up what you've got now? It's because Jesus came and he made us very aware of the fact that this home is not our home, that this is just a place that we're passing through, that the grave is not the end, that all of us will spend somewhere for all of eternity. The question is where? Well, unfortunately, ever since sin, man has been on a trajectory towards hell. But Jesus came and said, I'm going to change all of that. If you put your faith and your trust in me, you can be with me in heaven forever. These guys, the, the wise men, the magi, recognized that. And so they brought him gold. They brought him frankincense. And then they brought him a third gift. They brought him myrrh. Myrrh was used for the anointing of a martyr. It's typically when you recognize that somebody was about to die for the cause of somebody else that they would bring them myrrh and they would anoint that person. They would be excited about the fact that this person was willing to give up their life for a group of other people. However, most of the time, the people that they were dying for, they believed that they deserved it. I deserve to have you go die for me so that I can be rescued. Here's what makes Jesus very different and his followers very different. Prayerfully, at this point in your life, you recognize, I recognize that I am not worthy of having anybody die on my behalf, especially the God of the universe. Knowing who I am, I know that I deserve to pay the penalty for my own sin. But if I did that, I'd have to do it for all of eternity. So I'm thankful that Jesus came and that he died for me. He came as king, so I'm going to bring him gold. He came as God, so I'm going to bring him frankincense. And he came as the one and only true martyr, so I'm going to bring him myrrh. Now, maybe not literally, because I don't know how to get my hands on those three things. But I have a great opportunity, not only today, not only this coming week, but for the rest of my life to lay some things down sacrificially on his behalf, knowing that it's never in vain. Do you know that if you live for Jesus, it's never in vain? Now, again, I'm going to go back to this. There's a lot of things that some of us are living for. Some of us are living for sex. Some of us are living for money. Some of us are living for our spouse. Some living for our kids. Some living for career. All of those things are going to come crashing down someday. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And never will he leave you. And never will he forsake you. What a great reason to celebrate, not just on Christmas Eve, but every day of the year. Did you know that you don't have to wait to Christmas to, to celebrate him? 
I just want to share with you, if you're new or you're, you're a, one of our guests this morning, we do do this 52 times a year. Uh, normally we do this at 9 and 10.30, twice together. We would love to have you come back every day of the year. Not so that God will love you more. Not so that you can check off your church box. But because Jesus is amazing and he's worth it. And we would love to have you worship our amazing Savior right alongside of us. Now I want to close this morning with a reminder of something that I said at the very beginning. And that is simply this. Every event in human history is being used by God to bring people to a point of worshiping Jesus. You may not believe this, you may not know this, but you're actually here on purpose. Before the foundation of the world, God knew that you would be in Albuquerque, New Mexico at New Covenant Church on December 24th of 2023. He knew it, and so he brought you here for a reason. If you're already a follower of Jesus, I pray that this morning is a time where you are encouraged, you are strengthened, you are stretched, you are grown. If you have yet to trust in Jesus, what a great day to have a birthday and become his child and adopted into his family. Let me spend a moment, if I could, I'm going to pray for us. And as you're just bowing your heads in prayer, again, I know that some of y'all maybe have never trusted Jesus before. Maybe you have thought to yourself, what reason do I have for even worshiping this Jesus? And I hope and I pray that in some small way, some small shape, some small form, you have had some questions answered about who Jesus is. And you recognize that he's something so much more than just a guru, something more than just a martyr, something more than just a religious leader. But through his, his perfect fulfillment of prophetic uh, events, that he truly is God that through the archaeological evidence we have, the Bible that is written all about him has been proven true. The manuscript evidence that show us that the, this book that we have or this collection of 66 books that we have from Genesis to Revelation is the perfect rendition of who he is. It's the perfect explanation of who he is. I pray that you'd put your faith and trust in Jesus today. If you've still got more questions, it's exactly why God puts elders and deacons and ministry leaders in our church bodies today. Or even a fellow brother and sister in Christ sitting next to you could probably answer many of the questions that you have. Please keep asking. Don't ever think to yourself, I'm not supposed to ever ask questions and I'm never supposed to have doubts. Because if you've ever gotten to that point, write a book because I'd love to know how you got there. But it's good for us to keep seeking and to keep asking hard questions. And the reason why I would tell you to keep doing that is God's not afraid of your questions. God's not afraid of the doubts that you may have. So let's ask them. Let's get them answered. Let's get blown away by how amazing Jesus is. And then let's do the same thing that the shepherds did, that the magi did, and everybody else that heard about Jesus. They can't help but go tell people about Jesus. Gang, I'm hoping that when I say amen and we leave this place, Actually, don't leave this place after I say amen. We're going to sing a song. When we're done with that, I pray that you can't wait to go back to your hometown and tell people about how amazing Jesus is. Let me pray for us. Jesus, we do come before you and we honor you and we worship you. And Lord, I just pray that we would be just like the wise men. We would do whatever it takes to be with you. We would do whatever it takes to help other people be with you. And then after being with you and spending time with you, we wouldn't be able to keep our mouths shut about how amazing you are, about your majesty, about your glory, that we would tell everyone about you. And Lord, may we do that in any way that you give us opportunity. If we're at the store, help us tell people about you. If we're on social media, help us honor and glorify you. If we're on the phone, 
If we're in the car, Lord, help us to just keep bringing you honor and glory wherever we were at in our day-to-day lives. Lord Jesus, it's you that we worship this morning. It's in your mighty name that we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us.